Hello, welcome to Searching Inward Podcast, and we are back after a little time away, some downtime. But my name is George Stahl, and I'm hosting today, and I'm sitting here with Scott Real, the founder and director of Restore, and with a brand new face to Restore, Anna Bryant, who's joining us for the very first time. We're so glad to have her. Um, Scott, tell us a little bit about Anna and uh, what she's doing with Restore. Yeah, Anna is our new director of programming. She has a degree in social work, and we're extremely excited to have her. She's going to be growing our groups around the world. Exciting. Anna, are you excited to be here too? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be a part of Restore and the impact they're having globally. Anna Beams, if you could only see her face (laughs) right now. I know you're hearing her voice, but her smile (laughs) is definitely as wide as the room we're sitting in. So Smiling's my favorite. Yes. If you've not got to know her, uh, I hope you get to to know her at some point. But today we are uh, actually talking about being fully alive. And uh, there was a quote that kind of uh, brought on this, uh, this podcast, and it's, it's from uh, St. Irenaeus. It says, the glory of God is man fully alive. So that's what we want to talk about today. And Scott and Anna are going to help us learn how we could be more fully alive, men and women. Um, but Scott, why don't you kind of start us off? What's, where do we begin with being fully alive? Well, you know, I think that that's really the heart of the ministry that we have here at Restore, and that is helping people find life and finding it to the fullest. And when I found that quote, uh, just this year I found that quote, that the glory of God is man fully alive. And I think I'd heard it before, but it really resonated with me with all the different aspects of this journey that we are helping people on of finding life and finding it to the fullest. Um, and I go back, George uh, and Anna, to when I started this journey like 25 years ago, and um, there was, I was a senior wellness director at the Y, which many of you know, and um, it was at the end of the day, many people would bring reading materials to the, to the Y when they would do their cardio. And somebody left something, it was a little publication by the upper room, and it was about addictions. And I opened it up, and the first thing I read was this quote here from Dr. Gerald May in his book, Addiction of Grace. And this is what he says, He says, after 20 years of listening to the yearnings of people's hearts, I am convinced that all human beings have an inborn desire for God. Whether we are consciously religious or not, this desire is our deepest longing and most precious treasure. It gives us meaning. Some of us have repressed this desire, burying it beneath so many other interests that we are completely unaware of it, or we may experience it in different ways a longing for wholeness, completion, or fulfillment. But regardless of how we describe it, it is a longing for love. Mm. It is a hunger to love, to be loved, and to move closer to the source of love. This yearning is the essence of the human spirit, is the origin of our highest hopes and most noble dreams. And when I read that, and that's I use that when I wrote Journey to Freedom to start it, that really is the center of the human condition and is the fulfillment. Where are you in the fulfillment of that desire in your life? Um, and I think it, it expresses itself in many different ways, whether it's through, I feel that my occupation and my, my family, what I do, my intellect, all these different things. But I think it comes down to when we finally get to the age where we realize, looking back, it's love. Wow. It's, it's, it's about love. And so to be fully alive to me is you have to be free. And one of the ways that we look at freedom is, is our setting people free from what attachments, what are you going to, to try to 
secure that love and to secure that desire. Um, and then when we read Dr. Dodd's work on the voice of the heart, and we, we were introduced to his feelings, and he comes out and says, unless we embrace these feelings, and I'll let Anna talk about those more, um, you know, that's being fully alive, feelings of hurt, sadness, loneliness, fear, anger, shame, guilt, gladness. And what I realize is that I run to things to, that become attachments to distract myself from these feelings that are so uncomfortable. And so instead of embracing the feelings and letting them guide me to the freedom and ultimately guide me to love, um, I turn to attachments. And then attachments become, which is another word for addictions, but this is really what I'm going to. And, and I love what May says in Addiction to Grace, that, that only a heart that is fully free can fully love. Wow, I absolutely love that. I was trying to imagine someone working out while reading that quote. Because <laughs> um, you would almost have to stop to, to, to take that in. But yeah, I think so many of us, uh, we think, you know, we rank our emotions or we mm-hmm. kind of measure them. Like there's good and bad emotions. And so I think what I'm hearing you say, Scott, and I want to hear from you, Anna, what being fully alive means to you mm-hmm. through these emotions. But I, I think what you guys are saying is that when we open up to all these emotions, not as good or bad, but just as a process of right. being able to express what we're going through, what we're feeling. And I think that's what you're saying, Scott. That's what it means to be free, would be to express these in some way, not to bottle them up. So, Anna, what's uh, being made it fully alive like to you, certainly yeah, through these emotions? I definitely um, agree. Like, being fully alive is free to fully feel all of our feelings. I think um, we've got such a narrow definition of what being alive means or being happy or being fulfilled and um, finding that love, it, it, it has to look a certain way. And so um, not necessarily being open to feeling, expressing, getting in touch with some of these feelings that maybe have um, had a connotation of being negative, things like hurt and sadness and loneliness and fear and anger and shame and guilt. All of those, typically, I think if you ask most people, would would probably agree, oh, well, those are bad feelings. <laughs> those are things yeah. I don't want to feel. And if I am experiencing those, then I'm not fully living. But I think um, if we dig in a little deeper and we recognize that there are benefits and there are impairments to every feeling that we feel, um, and that our feelings are talking to us. They're trying to communicate something to us. So um, when we feel sad about something, um, you know, an impairment might be that we're feeling really sorry for ourselves. Um, but a benefit could be if we really like engage with that feeling of sadness, we begin to understand and appreciate what is valuable to us. Something that is either like that we care about either presently or something that we have had in the past that we miss um, and not running away from those feelings, not trying to numb them or trying to discredit them or push them down and pretend that we don't have them. Fully alive means fully feeling every feeling that comes our way and listening and trying to discern what is that, what is that trying to tell me? Yeah. I, like I've heard psychologists talk about amplification. Have you guys heard that? That like when we push down feelings, mm-hmm. they actually get stronger. Yeah. So what you're saying, Anna, is that every emotion has a benefit and a, an impairment. And so what we don't fully understand when we're avoiding some of the emotions that we might see as negative, they can actually be becoming amplified in our lives and having even a more negative impact. 
Um, could you, Anna, get, give us an example of fear, like the benefit and the impairment of like fear, some of these, some <laughs> of the other negative emotions, so maybe people could, could understand that. Yeah, well, I think fear is something that um, every single human on the planet has been feeling and has probably been amplified quite a bit uh, in the last two years. I think um, just this global pandemic that we've been living through, um, people are, they are in touch with their fear emotion, um, you know, and the benefit of that is we understand the preciousness and the value of a human life. Like when it is um, in danger every single day by just simply living your life and going about and having human contact, which is a very normal thing, um, people were fearful. Um, and so the drawback of that, the impairment was, uh, you know, a lot of people like pretty much put their entire life on hold, you know, and they gave into that fear. Um, but the benefit of that is I think we have learned to value um, just the fragility and the preciousness of life in a whole new way that we did not appreciate before this global pandemic came around. Um, and so there are both sides of the coin on that. And um, I think just understanding, yes, I feel fearful. Um, I can either let that fear control me and impair me, or I can understand what that fear is trying to tell me about what I value and what's important. So it's, it's good for people to understand that we need to feel all these things that uh, Adad teaches us. But Scott, and you know, I know one of the things that I learned in working with you guys is that you can be happy and sad at the same time. It's like, you know, when you first start these groups, you, you know, you often feel bad, you know, identifying with one of the ones you would think as being negative so it's always yeah I'm glad you know um but then as you grow and as you experience uh you know restore small groups you begin to learn that yeah like happy and sad can go together and actually a whole a person who is fully alive can fill all those things at the very same time so um Scott what else do we need to take away from you know Dodd's uh feelings chart here that all feelings are good. They're all good. They, they all provide a benefit if we embrace them. What we see all the time is people's feelings are frozen, they're buried, or they, or they just medicate them away with some form of attachment. Uh, and just the opposite, then they become uh, actually more uh, attached to the, the dysfunctional things that they're turning to. Um, Can we talk about why the, maybe they get buried? Is it because they're fearful of them would be one part of that? They're fearful of, of, of experiencing those kinds of feelings. But could it also be that... It, it's the uncomfortability yeah. of feelings. Um, and we live in a society that drives us to all these distractions to feel good. It's always... And, and we, we miss the gift of living from our feelings. And you're right. Um, gladness is, I've always, even me, a little bit with the word gladness, but I connect it to what Dr. Dodd is trying, and that is joy. It's not based on circumstances. Circumstances can be very difficult in people's lives, and you are going to feel hurt, sadness, loneliness, fear, anger, shame, guilt. Those, those are a part of our human condition, but there's, we pay a great price. I can't remember exactly what Brene Brown said, but it was kind of like this, but she says, neuroses and addictions and all this negative stuff is going to come from not embracing those feelings. 
Do you, do you think that, and this is part of what I've experienced in Restore Small Groups, is that you can also, because those are uncomfortable for you, they're uncomfortable for others, and a lot of people don't know a safe right. place where they can express some of these emotions like fear and sadness. Yeah, and I think this is a perfect time to segue into another part of Fully Alive, and that is in Dr. Thompson's book, uh, the, the um, Anatomy of the Soul, he says that the greatest need of all human beings is the experience of being fully known. But then he has this one part to it. He says, the experience of being fully known and the feeling of being felt. So that that's what we see in group, the empathy of when somebody is sharing something very difficult that's been locked up in them, buried and stuffed away. And, and so they're sharing that, and the, the group is there, and they're hearing their story and this person's story. But then also the person who's sharing a story is having that experience of we're feeling that with them. We're sharing that. And I really believe that God created us that way, which is why I think Thompson says in Anatomy Soul that the way God created our brains were they won't work in isolation. We were created by an intimate you know, you have the Trinity. I mean, God said, we will make man in our image. I mean, it's Richard Ward talked about it. We're so much more relational than we want to admit. We need each other and we need that intimacy. So that feeling of being felt, the experience of being fully known, this, what have I felt? What has it felt like to be in my life? How many people have that space to do that? And that's the feeling of being felt. That, that's a profound thought. Yeah. It's like, to be able, like, the way we can be more fully alive is to accept the world as it is. Right. And, and, and that's hard for us to do personally, but when we can find sacred space or other people who help us accept the world as it is, that don't look at those negative emotions with a negativity, but with a grace and a love, it's part of the healing process, to be felt. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, we have been involved in a group that's really been growing mm -hmm. together, and um, last night, one of our participants like just sent out this email about um, a very negative thing that had happened in the press recently, and um, it involved two celebrities, and it escalated, and she just um, said, hey, I want to pick this apart and talk about like what feelings were being felt here and what were the circumstances, and let's try to look past the bad behavior and understand like what was the heart behind what was happening. Um, and I feel like in, until we can develop, um, until we can have a space where we have been able to feel that empathy and experience it personally, we're not going to be able to empathize, empathize with the world at large. But, you know, our, our participants uh, have that space. They are um, experiencing that empathy maybe for the first time in their lives. And they're um, growing their awareness and being able to look at, like, the world at large through a different lens, through a lens of compassion and grace and uh, understanding that, you know, behavior is just like, it's the symptom. It's not the cause of what's um, causing a person to uh, behave the way that they are. You know, when I met Dr. Dodd over 20 some years ago, we immediately, he had just, he had just written Voice in the Heart and um, I actually met him before I wrote Journey to Freedom. And so we immediately started using his feelings chart in our groups. And we have used his feelings charts in our groups all over the world. And that's the very first thing we do in our group meeting is every, we go around, we call it a feelings check. Each person checks in 
And it's interesting. If we even have a rule that, that um, if you're feeling all these feelings, you have to say them. But just that, that each person gets to share with the group, I'm feeling this, and this is what's going on in my life that this is coming from. And that, I mean, if we just did that, I think our groups would be highly successful, just creating a space where this is what it feels like. You know, because if you think about our society, it's all, you know, it's so systemic. It's what we do. It's what we do. It's what we do. But what do you feel? What do you, yeah. what has it felt like to be you in yeah. your life? And that we ignore that at a perilous price. Yeah. So you, you, I'm hearing you say you have to know what you feel in order to be felt. So helping people be more in touch with what they're feeling, because often we don't have spaces where we even think about that. So I would imagine people coming into these groups for the first time, they possibly could have not even thought about what they felt. Absolutely. We, we live in a culture of uh-huh. we're human doings. We're not human beings. Like everybody's, you know, you meet someone new and the first thing you ask them, what do you do? You know, mm-hmm. and it's that is how we are measured, unfortunately, in the culture we live in. And so feeling our feelings and embracing the whole self has not necessarily been um, something that has been fully explored or um, encouraged. And so we want, we want to change that narrative. And giving people safe space mm-hmm. to explore that is what you guys do, for sure. Because I'm telling you, you'll turn to a dysfunctional response if, from these feelings. If they're stuffed, if they're buried in there, they're going to come out sideways. They just, it's just, it's a rule. You know, um, I think it's Susan David. She's a psychologist. She talks about how emotions are data, not direction. And they actually, like, getting in touch with our emotions can teach us more deeply about what we truly care about. Right. Even the painful ones. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think the practice of this, learning this, definitely leads to more health and well-being and what it means to, to fully be alive because it may even in a lot of ways teach us more deeply about what we truly care about. But I, you know, I think we've said this on one of the prior podcasts, but back to the, the role of empathy. We live in a very unempathetic environment in our society. And so they, I heard it just this past year that, that those who do not do the inner work are not capable of empathy. And so if we have millions of people out there who do not do the inner work, do not do that inner journey, we're, we're not capable of extending empathy. And I think the lack of empathy is profoundly a problem in our society, which yeah. contributes to why we have so many addictions and attachments and anxiety and depression, which is what Brene Brown is saying. What, what do you think makes up the inner journey Like what, what, for you I, I, guys? I think pressing into those feelings that are maybe quote unquote negative, like embracing them, letting them come, letting them be your teacher and your guide. Mm -hmm. Because unless you have been in hard or hurtful places, you're, there's no way you're going to have empathy for another person. Like empathy is when you feel a feeling on behalf of someone else. Like you can, you can kind of um, come alongside them in emotional capacity and understand mm-hmm. uh, the road that they're walking down. And unless you yourself have been down that road, unless you have to say, I know what it feels like to hurt. I know what it feels like to feel shameful. I know um, what it feels like to be lonely. 
you're not going to have um, any capacity to come alongside somebody else who is feeling lonely or shameful or guilty or any of the said feelings. Um, and so we need to embrace that. It's not fun, um, but it's not bad. And I think we just need to change the definition and our understanding of um, what those perhaps more negative feelings are teaching us. And what you guys are saying is that be, being fully alive does not mean we have positive feelings all the time. Um, not at all. Right. We need to widen our definition. Yeah. There's a beautiful work that's going on in these groups where everybody is doing some of the inward journey. Yes. And then with grace and love, doing some outward work of, of being grace and listening to others and and helping others know that they're being felt. Carl Jung said, he who looks outward dreams, but he who looks inward awakens. And if we know that awareness is the beginning of transformation, why am I feeling what I'm feeling? What is it going on? What has happened in my life? Nothing will change. And then we'll, we will live the definition of insanity. We'll just continue to do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Can you say that quote again? You are like the king of quotes. <laughs> it's the only thing I'm good at reading and remembering. But Carl Jung said, he who looks outward dreams, but he who looks inward awakens. That's so good. But I'm going to tell you, of those two choices, which one is the easiest? And that is to look outward. Mm. You know, the inward journey is scary and it's difficult. And you cannot do it alone. But it is so rewarding. It is worth the journey. It is worth the struggle. It's worth the trial. Don't be afraid of what's inside of you. Like, keep searching inward. Keep at it. And. Speaking of inward, Anna, you talk a lot, Scott, about intrinsic hope. Mm-hmm. And so gladness isn't necessarily uh, circumstantial. Like we could have gladness because there's something intrinsic within us, this intrinsic hope that I hear you talk a lot about that makes us more fully alive. So right. you could talk a little bit about that and how that works in our hearts. Well, it goes back to Viktor Frankl in his, in his experience in Auschwitz in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, when he said... It just made sense. Here he is. He's in Auschwitz. He's in, he's in hell. He's in the worst experience you can have as a human being, as a prisoner to the Nazis in those death camps. And um, he said that um, when circumstances will not change, we must change. And what he ultimately found was that, uh, and I, I call it hope, he found a spiritual hope, an intrinsic hope, that there was a reason and a purpose and a meaning for him to continue to be good, to care, and to live a f- fully alive in that circumstances. When everything else we would think that you needed to have a joy and happy life had been stripped from him. I mean, he's threatened with death and it's all around him every day. And he found a purpose and meaning to live. And so that, when I, when I went, I read that years ago, and then I started doing this work, and the more I did, I was like, what is he saying? I really believe it's a lot like what Christ was modeling to us. And that is, uh, intrinsic hope is, to, for me, driven by a vision of, in my human condition, what life could be asking of me at any time, and that's going to require bravery, you know, uh, risk to, to be fully present, to be fully alive, when my circumstances are the most difficult. And I realized that I, I had lived the other way. Circumstances had shaped my feelings of hope. And so then Brene Brown says that 
when I was reading some of her work, uh, which is one of the greatest things I've ever read on hope, she said, hope that can be cultivated, it can be learned. This is, in essence, what Franco was saying. And she said, at the center of hope was creativity, and that in any situation, we can create our response. And she says that empowers individuals, which I think is what Franco was saying, which is what we do in groups. And so that's why we have the freedom to choose our response from stimulus to response. We choose how we're going to respond. And so intrinsic hope is it's not coming from an external source. It's, matter of fact, my external circumstances may be just horrible, but I have hope. And that, I think, is the paradigm of Christ, is that in, in how he lived his life and then also what, how it's living through me, that I can choose to have, embrace that hope, even when all about me is falling apart. The diagnosis comes back positive. Um, someone I love is, passes away. Um, I lose this, you know, things happen. And we talk about that all the time, the suffering of life, the inevitability of it. So I think intrinsic hope is driven by a, the vision of finding a meaning and purpose no matter what my circumstances are, and embracing what life... Franco said it this way, instead of asking life what we expect of it, what could life be asking of us at any given moment? Wow, it's, it's the reminder that life matters no matter what. Your mm-hmm. life matters no matter what. It's not based circumstantially. Your worth, um, a psychologist call it mattering. You know, mm-hmm. that when we discover that, then that's when we really are opening our hearts to intrinsic hope. But how about you, Anna? What's intrinsic hope? How have you experienced that? I think intrinsic hope is just um, embracing the fact that my current circumstances are not going to be my permanent circumstances. Um, Understanding life ebbs and flows. And there are times that you go through really dark um, seasons where you are tempted to despair and feel like this is all my life is ever going to be. And Intrinsic hope would be digging deep and embracing the fact that, like, there are brighter days ahead, and um, this is not the end of the story. Um, And just overall trusting the story um, that it is long, it's eternal, I am but a part of it, and um, this is a season, and seasons change, and my life will change too. Um, There will be happy days ahead. There will probably be more struggle days ahead as well. Um, But just recognizing that the struggle that we're in, whatever that is, or, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the story. Some of us uh, come from faith traditions and uh, some of us have in the past have have learned that we shouldn't trust our feelings like we should be fearful of those and, and avoid those and Anna can you talk a little bit about that how maybe some of us have come from faith traditions that maybe work against what we're talking about here and how we could maybe see that in a different way that would be more helpful yeah thanks George um, yes I personally have struggled with this um, a lot in my life just um, embracing the feelings Um, grew up in a church tradition where I was taught that, you know, faith is where you go to and that if you are having feelings, that that is the opposite or the antithesis of having faith. And so um, that 
faith drives the ship and feelings are just something you don't really pay attention to. Um, and uh, as I've gotten older and wiser, I have really come to recognize like feelings are an integral part of how we were created. Um, they are not sin nature. They are not um, something that we need to overcome. They're something that we need to learn to fully integrate into our whole being. And again, listen to what our feelings are trying to communicate to us. Um, not that we, um, you know, we do need to have that space between stimulus and response um, and not always let our feelings drive our responses but take time to press in and understand what they're trying to communicate to us and not be afraid of feelings. You know, that's, I'm a pastor. You guys know that. <laughs> and that's so good to hear you say that because I've learned that God has been even more present through my willingness to feel. Um, and to your point, you know, feelings are as uh, Susan David says, they're, they're data. They're not directional. Our values guide us. So we can be full of faith following Christ and have values that are guiding us. But to think that somehow our feelings are intrinsically sinful or wrong, um, yeah, is so unhelpful. It's been unhelpful to me on my own journey. So thank you for sharing that. Scott, any final thoughts on, because everyone wants to be more fully alive. So any final thoughts for us to think about as we... Yeah, I think we've, we did a really good job of kind of covering that, that desire that we started with, which I think for most of us, if, if you were to look at that when you wake up each day, where am I in that desire? Where am I? Who am I becoming? Where am I going in relation to that? That's what Father Keating says is kind of the answer to the human condition. So I look at um, big changes happen for me in my life is that I look at each day, one day at a time, as an opportunity that God and I are going to co-create the best me, the best life, the full self, fully alive. And that, um, that is a choice I make. So I, I look at the day, my role is to put myself in the best position possible for God to grow that work in me. And that's what it leads to. It leads to growth and the expanding of self. And so um, where there's growth, there's hope. And we know hope keeps a person alive within time. And then when it comes intrinsic, um, that's, to me, the answer to living a life fully alive. That's so good. We co-create with God. So we're not alone in this being made alive. We, we're Dang. getting help, Scott, is what you're saying. A lot and, of help. And we're getting help. And it, uh, by a God who loves us and made us and is the author of life, but also from each other. And that's what you guys do here at Restore. So thank you guys for sitting down today and sharing this. And uh, if you're listening, we just want you to know that your life matters, no matter what it is that you are going through. And you can move into that fully and find safe space um, and learn that this is how you grow. This is how you're made more fully alive. And we hope that you'll find us online. If you've not been a part of a Restore Small Group, there are plenty of groups that you can connect to. But uh, for this particular topic, um, we hope that you feel that it's possible for all of us to be made full, yeah. more fully alive. And we'll be back again soon here to share another topic with you. But have a good one. You are loved and blessings to each of you. 